Welcome back to episode seven, the final episode of this season of the VMP Anthology podcast. As you know by now, this season is devoted to the folk boom of the 50s and 60s and the record label that brought many of the genre's best artists and albums to record stores and festivals around the world, Vanguard. In this episode, we cover the sixth and final album in your VMP Anthology box set, Skip James Today. James's signing to Vanguard represented the logical endpoint for a movement started in the mid-50s by a wave of artists and record collectors who obsessed over the 78s of old, forgotten bluesmen. At some point in the early 60s, some of these players and collectors started actively hunting down the old bluesmen whose records they obsessed over. They found Furry Lewis and Sun House, Booker White and Mississippi John Hurt, and many more. Skip James was the most sought after of these bluesmen. His 78s were so rare that it was thought that as few as two of most of them even existed in their original form. So his rediscovery in a hospital bed in the early 60s was a momentous occasion, at least for the folk and blues nerds who had made him into something like a household name in their small circles. James himself was a cantankerous old man and doubtful that the white kids who paid for him to record and tour had anything valuable to teach him at that point in his life. And he was probably right. But since he felt like he had been hoodwinked 30 years prior by Paramount, he thought he'd stick it to the recording industry and make some money while he could, and made a series of LPs before his death in the late 60s. The finest of those LPs, as you know by now, is Today. In this episode, I talk with Elijah Wald about Skip's rediscovery and how he wasn't content to play to type when touring in the 60s. We also talk about how Today presented a new generation, a new Skip James. People, they are drifting from door to door, but they can't find no heaven. I don't care where they go. Robert Johnson was one of the few people who seems to have been very interested in Skip James and did two two of the tunes Robert Johnson recorded were versions of Skip James songs. Mm-hmm. But mostly it was not a commercial sound. It was too strange. It was it was eerie, but it was not it was no kind of you know, it, there was no scene in which that was a commercial sound. Incidentally, Skip James w- recorded as much on piano as on guitar. Right. And was just as strange a piano player as he was a guitar player. I mean, he was uh, unlike, you know, any other musician in that world. You can hear pretty clearly where they're coming from and what they're doing. Skip James was one of the only people in anything we could call folk music who thought of himself as a unique genius. And artist. I mean, Skip James, you know, normally someone like Robert Johnson would take pride in the fact that he could sound like all the guys on the records on the jukebox. It was very unusual for someone in that world to be proud of the fact that they sounded nothing like anything on the jukebox. And Skip James, in that sense, saw himself as a unique artist which was very, very, very unusual for anyone in any kind of working class music of any kind. Mm-hmm. 
and so his records didn't sell and that was that and he got depressed and he basically quit playing but there were these record collectors in the city particularly new york who started collecting old blues records and here it gets a little bit weird because they they loved the music very deeply but they also were collectors right and it is the nature of collectors that they value things that are rare and nobody else has so for example nowadays we would say that blind lemon jefferson was up there with anyone else as one of the greatest blues singers of all time but in that collector world blind lemon jefferson records weren't interesting because there were lots of them mm-hmm. they sold well he was a big star they were not rare you didn't earn any points with your buddies by having a blind lemon jefferson record so basically they didn't give a damn about blind lemon jefferson great as he might have sounded whereas charlie patton or sun house or skip james the value was partly that they were incredibly great musicians and partly that no one had been much interested in them back when they made their first record so they hadn't made a lot of you found one of their records all your buddies thought you were the greatest thing on earth so skip james was a perfect that because he sounded like nobody else his records were incredibly rare i'm still that only one copy has ever been found this guy named Tom Hoskins found Mississippi John Hurt which no one had expected would happen cuz John Hurt had sounded like an old man and already but as it turns out it's just cuz he was a young man who liked old music mm-hmm. like you are mm-hmm. <laughs> and so Tom Hoskins literally there was a record John Hurt had done called Avalon that started with the line Avalon's my hometown always on my mind and Tom Hoskins and Dick oh come on what's his name he did Dick did the discography of 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 ethnic records Dick Spotswood okay Dick Spotswood just looked on a map of Mississippi and they found Avalon and they thought okay sent a postcard down to the uh, postmaster there addressed to John Hurt old blues singer general delivery Avalon Mississippi and god damn it there there was John Hurt so they discovered that some of these guys were alive and they started looking for them and the funny part about skip james is they went down looking for skip james from washington dc and went down to mississippi and after they did enough detective work discovered that he was in a hospital in washington dc so they got him on the road mm-hmm. and he showed up he was discovered like a month or two months before the night Newport Folk Festival in 1964 mm-hmm. and they called up the festival and said we found Skip James and that was a moment when although the f- festival was fully booked and you couldn't have got another act on there if it was say Buffy St. Marie they heard Skip James and they went okay Skip James right we'll put him on the blues workshop he isn't listed in the program nobody knew he was going to be there but the blues workshop every single person who loved old blue basically every single person on the planet earth who would recognize uh, let's say every single person outside would have recognized the name skip james in 1963 
mm-hmm. was sitting on the lawn at Newport, the uh-huh. blues workshop. And when they announced that Skip James was about to come out, everybody just, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, he was supposed, nobody knew he existed. Right. And asked about, like, was he playing a different kind of guitar? Because it had this weird sound to it. And suddenly there he was on a sunny afternoon in Newport, Rhode Island, sitting on the stage. And these kids are sitting out there in the lawn. And he sounded like those records. Now, the funny part is he didn't sound like those records. One of the interesting things about Skip James is when he was a young man, he had a very high voice and he could sing naturally in a very high vocal range. And as he got older, he lost his high end, which is true of most of us. What he did, what most of us do in that situation is we start playing in other keys. But what he did was he kept playing in the same key and started singing in falsetto later records, the rediscovery records, unlike any blues artist of his generation, he had completely reshaped his singing and was now singing in this falsetto style that really was good mm-hmm. from the way he sounded as a young man. And record collectors will talk about how his later records don't as good as the old 78s. But mm-hmm. those of us who heard... The Vanguard record, Skip James Today, before we heard the 78s, that's our Skip James. Mm -hmm. And for us, the old records are terrific, but they don't have that haunting equality that that falsetto has on Skip James Today. Right. Yeah. The falsetto gives it just like a, a different feel than his his old higher register, I think, gives it like, like a yeah. on earth. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's like a yeah, it's a, it's like a ghost or something. It's it's not of this world. The voice on today. Yeah. I mean, Cream did. I'm so glad played the record for Skip James. His reaction was nah. <laughs> right. Yeah. My record. And he was right. On the other hand, not popular right right the coffee house circuit it was hard to get people into the room for people who worshipped him worshipped him other people didn't get it and also he did not put on an act for the white folks Hmm. mississippi john hurt i'm not going to say exactly that he put on an act for the white folks but he was a charming old black man you could patronize mississippi john hurt If you called him Uncle John and laughed with him, he would laugh back. Skip James always knew that he was the smartest person in any room he was in, that he knew more than anybody in any room he was in. And he was perfectly willing to be generous and educate the young white people around him. But he did not for one second ever act like these white college kids knew anything that he that was of any importance relative to him. Hmm. He was absolutely certain at all times that he had been places, learned things, seen more and knew more and had a better education Hmm. than these kids. And he was right. Right. 
but that wasn't what they were looking for in an old black blues singer. Mm. Which ultimately probably made his comeback much harder than some of the other artists of the same era. It wasn't just harder. It was a disaster. He, he consistently, he, he did not do well. He did not make a lot of money. It very much bothered him. But yes, Skip James was, was bitter and justifiably bitter. I mean, one of the interesting things about Skip James is you'll often find people talking about how he used all these big words with the suggestion that he didn't know what the words meant. But mm. if you look at what Skip James, you know, I mean, Skip James did constantly use huge words. He also virtually all the time used them correctly. People made fun of him because they, you know, for all sorts of reasons. But the fact is, no, he, he was, in fact, a highly educated man. He was a very well-read man in his world, mm -hmm. which, you know, a lot of his world was the world of Christian theology. I mean, he had right. gone to Bible school, but no, he, he was he was a fascinating man. And but in any case, Skip James today was I mean, that's still that's God's music. <laughs> And that ends the story of this box set. But of course, Vanguard's story didn't end there. The label had sustained success through the 1960s, pivoting along with folk into folk rock with acts like Country Joe and the Fish. The label also became the home for Electric Chicago Blues, as they signed Buddy Guy, Junior Wells, James Cotton, and Charlie Musselwhite. Folk music changed forever when Dylan came along. Artists who played the canon were no longer as in vogue as Dylan, who bust open the folk canon to write his own songs. Rock music became the dominant music for youth culture, and folk became, like the blues before it, a music for a small core of obsessives. Vanguard still exists today, with artists like Bare Naked Ladies, Bruce Hornsby, and Rodney Crowell releasing albums for the label. But its biggest impact remains in the years captured in this VMP anthology. And that's where we leave this season of VMP Anthology, the podcast. Thanks for taking this 6LP journey with us through Vanguard and folk music. I say this probably every time that I host. I think if you go back, that's true. That we don't take for granted, none of us at VMP, that we get to do this as our job. We really think we have the best customers of the world. So thank you, thank you, thank you for buying this box set, making this podcast possible, making our jobs possible. Thank you for buying this box set. And thank you to everybody at VMP and at our label partners who helped pull this off. These really are a labor of love that take a lot of work. You know, this one started sometime in March and it's now to you in, in October. It, they take a long time to happen, but we love doing them so much that they're worth all of the work and the headaches for our production team and the, the logistical issues, they're worth it. We love doing these and we hope you love them too. If you're listening to this podcast without buying the box set, I hope you liked it. You know, I hope that you've checked out some albums that you otherwise maybe wouldn't have listened to. And if you're interested in the box set, there's probably still copies of it left in our store. So, you know, head over to our website and purchase one. We would greatly appreciate it. 
This season of the VMP Anthology podcast was written, hosted, and produced by me, Andrew Winnestorfer. It was executive produced by Amelia Sutliff and was edited by Porama Chakravarti. It was recorded in my basement in St. Paul, Minnesota. And for the final time, I'd like to expend a very special thank you and belly rub to Arthur and Remy for being very, very good boys and not being noisy while I was recording this. I definitely owe you guys a bone. A very special thanks to Elijah Wald for sitting in on Google Hangouts talking about old folk music with me this season. So I guess we'll see you next season when we cover Philadelphia International Records, the story of Philly Soul, and the eight albums included in VMP Anthology 11, the story of Philadelphia International Records. There are still some copies of that left available, so go get that. That is going to be an incredible box set. I can't wait to get my hands on that. Uh, And you should not either, should not be able to wait. Go and grab that. Peace to Dexter Wansell. I guess all that's left for me to do this season is to leave you with this, this final reminder. Listen to more Dave Van Rock. I'm so tired of mourning. I'm so tired of grown as you. And I am so glad. Yes, I'm so glad. What am I just don't know?